a society that is based on using animals so much cannot accept ideas such as animal rights. If you eat animals for every meal or every day, a society like this cannot accept ideas such as that animals have rights to live and, and so on. After we solve the problem with the meat industry, not only we will save 98% of the animals, basically it would be much easier to make people stop using it. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hi, my name is Jerry Saver, and you're listening to episode 48 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast for and about the people who are creating a plant-based future where you can get inspired, learn from their experience and their approach, and find out what works when you're setting up your own vegan business. A few words of caution about today's episode. While it is about a vegan topic, it's not exactly plant-based, and there is some amount of controversy around it. The topic is cellular agriculture, and more specifically, clean meat. And like I said, I know that for a certain percent of the vegan population, this raises some red flags, but I personally feel that it has a huge potential to diminish our dependence on animal products and animal agriculture. And of course, from a business perspective, it's clear that it's an emerging technology which can really transform the industry of meat production. And it is worth noting that my guest today has been vegan for over 13 years and began as an animal rights activist. His name is Tom Ben Arya. He's a postgraduate researcher of tissue engineering at Technion Israel Institute of Technology. And he serves as a scientific advisor to the Modern Agriculture Foundation, which is one of the leading organizations working on the development of clean meat and cellular agriculture solutions. So, even if you have some reservations about the topic, try to put them aside for the next hour because, above all, this interview is an opportunity to learn about the science and technology behind growing clean meat and what this means for the vegan movement in our future. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Jerry, nice to meet you. First yeah. of all, I'm not a postdoc student, not yet. I'm still a PhD student and I'm uh, really happy to be on your show. I, I really love it. I think both the uh, clean meat and the uh, plant-based meat are really good opportunities to really change the meat industry as we know it. All right. Well, I'm um, sorry about misbranding you. I, I think that at the PhD level, yeah, that's advanced enough that you definitely know what you're talking about, first of all. And I'm really looking forward to exploring more about this topic with you. But... Just to begin, since I doubt that most of our listeners are familiar with the cellular agriculture scene in Israel, what's your background and what do you do in a nutshell? So I'm a clean meat researcher. I basically try to find a way to make a clean meat in our lab. Our lab is basically working on making a tissue engineering, specifically of muscle. I'm trying to take this technology and try to use the, to do it the same thing as we with bovine cells instead of human cells and trying to make it with edible products instead of uh, medical materials and try to make it less expensive compared to what we usually do. Right. How did you get into that field? So I was a vegan and an animal uh, rights activist for a very long time. Uh, 
one day we, me and several colleagues, we realized that what we are doing is very helpful, but it's not enough. We were trying to think of how we can solve the problem. And for that, we were going either to the plant-based or the clean meeting uh, research. We heard about uh, Jason Metheny, who made a non-profit organization uh, talking about the uh, clean meat. And we thought it was a good idea and a, a good thing to try to and do ourselves. So uh, basically, I went to uh, do my undergrads in biomedical in molecular biochemistry, and then continue on to do a research on cleaning. Okay, so basically, the research you're doing right now in in this direction, it was the idea, the the wish to to do something in the field that actually spurned that idea. Yeah. You wanted to produce clean meat. That's why you went and, and chose that topic. Yeah, that's why I went to the university to try and uh, basically a big problem that has to be solved. If you care for animals, it's obvious that, uh, that you need to solve the meat industry because 98% of the animal abuse is there. And even if you don't really care about animals, people don't realize how influential the meat industry is in, on our life. We talk about uh, so many problems. I guess people in this uh, podcast already know about the many problems of the meat industry. Yeah, the environment, the, the health. Yeah, if you talk about antibiotic use, um, uh, land use, water use, which are the numbers are really insane. That 70% of the antibiotics in the US have been used by the meat industry. And we talk about uh, one of the biggest uh, problems of safety and health. Uh, the, People currently have, will have will be a, 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 a multiple drug-resistant antibiotics and bacteria. Mm-hmm. So that's a really huge thing, and people just don't realize it yet. Yeah, and and then of course there's the huge question of animal rights and what's happening with animals in industrial agriculture. Which, since this is your background, if we just take it. Uh, little further back, how did you get into veganism in the first place? So I was a vegetarian since I was four years old. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something that is easy to comprehend, that killing animals is wrong. However, I was still under the illusion that cows live in the pasture and they want to be milked. And at the age of 15, I realized that cow, it's not the case. Cows don't want to be milked. The milk is taken from them, and so I became a, a vegan. Right. Mm-hmm. How much of that was an influence of your environment? Because I, I mentioned before when, when we were just starting this up, I, I know that Israel gets a lot of positive press in terms of being very vegan-friendly. So how true is that? How easy it is to become and to be vegan in Israel? Yeah, so it's very true. Um, uh, vegan food is everywhere. 5% of Israelis are vegan. Israelis' uh, national food is the falafel, which is also vegan. And basically, you can find the uh, vegan food in every restaurant. Many restaurants uh, have vegan menus, and there are many vegan restaurants. And if you talk about Tel Aviv, which is regarded as the most vegan city in the world, there are over uh, 400 uh, vegan restaurants and businesses. I can say about myself that it didn't really affect me because I grew in a religious area which has none of the vegan stuff at all. But over the time, I, over the last uh, 20 years or so, I saw how it developed, how you had more and more vegetarian and vegan products out there. Currently, it's very convenient to be vegan in Israel. 
Yeah. Do you see any particular reasons besides the food that veganism is so strong and so accessible in Israel? Yeah. The first reason is the Jewish religion. There are strict religious rules about meat and dairy. So the food companies either clarify the product has meat or dairy, or they just don't add them to the product to avoid the subject. Um, another reason is that the Jews were oppressed. And I think that it helps to understand that oppression is wrong if your group uh, has went through that. And if you can think about it further, the Israeli culture, people love to debate, they love to be right. And if you want to be right, uh, well, you have to be vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I like that explanation. I mean, it, it definitely encompasses um, a lot of things and, and paints a pretty good picture about what makes the movement so strong. But... Um, What about what you're doing? So cellular agriculture, are there any other particular reasons besides the obvious one of veganism that um, this field is so big in Israel? Yeah, Israel is a startup nation. It doesn't have much natural resources to invest much in education, specifically in subjects like math and science. And the combination with veganism generated people who are devoted to the cause and really want to uh, make a change in this field. Right. Just from what I heard you saying before when you were describing the, the lab that you're working in, this is actually a field that um, I'm assuming had its beginnings in trying to grow human tissue in a lab for medical reasons, right? Yes. And now it's expanding into the field of cellular agriculture. Is that correct? Yeah, so basically the lab was uh, working on trying to solve problems for humans, but I really pushed uh, my professor into this uh, subject uh, that we should uh, try to do something like this, and there was uh, funding opportunities, so it, it, we just started the project. Right, so before we get into more details, how would you describe what you're aiming to do to someone who's really not familiar with it? Yeah. So our goal is to create the same product as animal-based meat in a more efficient method. We basically, we use tissue engineering instead of live animals to grow meat. Meat is uh, naturally created by cells in the body. We already know how to grow the cells without animals. So we are uh, trying to mimic the natural environment of the cells so they can produce the meat in an inexpensive animal-free environment. Right. And for, for someone who kind of understands this concept like I do, but I'm definitely not clear on the details of it. What are some of the most important parts of the process of growing meat without an animal? I know that I remember when I talked to, to Bruce Friedrich, he was mentioning terms like, um, I think it was lattice or, or the framework on which the, the meat grows and the medium. So, you know, what are the, the important parts that need to be present to, to actually create a viable product of clean meat? Yeah. So there are three main uh, research directions crucial for uh, clean meat. It's, uh, the first one is tissue engineering. The second is food engineering. And the third is scale-up. I can go to each one of them and try to explain it. So tissue engineering is basically generating the, the basic tissue. It consists of uh, growing the cells. And uh, first off, we start, need to start working with, instead of human cells, with bovine cells, because I don't know how many people will try a, a human burger. That's uh, less uh, likely. So we need to understand how to grow bovine cells. 
bovine, uh, if you don't know, bovine is cow cells, and if the starting with cows is, uh, or uh, swine is rather a, a good start because they are mammals, and most of the tissue engineering uh, currently done in the world is basically done on mammals, like humans or mice. So we have lots of knowledge of how to work with mammals. So basically the first thing we need to do is understand how to grow the bovine cells. There is some research about bovine cells, but we need to find a way to make them grow in, uh, into huge amounts and optimize the growing uh, steps so it will be done in, uh, in an efficient manner. That's the first thing, like try to grow the cells and get as much cells as possible from the small biopsy that we get. Second is uh, the differentiation of the cells into meat. Uh, the cells make meat. We need to optimize the procedure from, to get from uh, the cells into the meat. And that's uh, another thing that we need to do inside of the tissue engineering. And in order to grow, make cells uh, grow and correctly in the natural environment, cells need to be grown in a 3D environment. Um, uh, usually when you grow cells, you grow them in 2D because it's much simpler and it's much easier. However, it's not the natural environment of the cells. If you want them to create meat the same as it is being done in the, in the body, you need to mimic that environment. Basically, in order to do that, we grow the cells on the lattice, on the scaffold. Um, it's a hard, uh, porous material that can, uh, can uh, hold the, the tissue together. And inside of the scaffold, we put the cells with uh, some kind of biomaterials that can mimic the the um, uh, protein and the ECM, the extracellular matrix that the cells are used to be grown in. So that's uh, something important in order to make the meat, to make a natural meat inside of, the, of our uh, uh, environment, inside of the lab environment. And the last thing, which is really crucial, is work with multicultural constructs. It, what, what it means is that meat is made of a, a, a muscle, and the muscle tissue it doesn't have only muscle cells. It has many, many, many types of cells inside it. Um, and a, a simple example is fat cells, but there are many other cell types inside of the muscle. If you don't have all of them, then what you are making is some kind of a substitute for meat and not actually the meat tissue. So you need to really understand and really come from a tissue engineering a, a background to understand what muscle actually is and what are the different uh, components of it. So you, you can actually make something that is exactly the same product at the end. So this is the tissue engineering. Another um, approach that needs to be implemented is food engineering. Basically going from a muscle tissue to an edible product. Um, first of all, when you work in a tissue engineering, you don't really care about things like taste or texture. Basically, you don't use any edible materials. You use uh, materials which are uh, mostly plastic or uh, things which are um, uh, meant for uh, transplantation, and they are not really some things that you want to eat. So the first thing that food engineers can help is uh, choose the materials that we use in, in the development. The tissue engineer can tell them what they need, and the um, food engineer can uh, choose the materials that will fit into that uh, parameters that the tissue engineer needs. Second of all, we need to start working with plant-based materials instead of there are some materials that come from animals because when you're doing transplantation, sometimes you really don't care where it comes from as long as it's good. So we need to start working with plant-based uh, materials and, uh, and the food engineer can help with that. Uh, a crucial thing is the food analysis also. When I do a research, I know how to measure vascularization inside of the 
of the sample, uh, measure uh, some kind of measurements that are um, uh, useful for uh, transplantation. However, uh, those are not the parameters that matters when you make a burger. Parameters that matter are uh, the food content, the proteins, fat, amino acids, and uh, many small uh, molecules that are relevant in terms of taste, also texture. So those are some kind of uh, measurements that uh, someone from the food industry know how to do. And we, and basically a tissue engineer just doesn't have the background in order to do all of these uh, food analysis measurements. Another thing is the uh, uh, food regulations. Uh, clean meat will have, uh, it's, it's a novel uh, material. It's a novel uh, food product. And the regulation and the talks of the regulation with the FDA or the EFSA need to occur from the very beginning. So we will know what materials to use and uh, to make sure that everything that we do, that uh, we won't do some kind of research for you now 10 years, and then someone will tell us, oh, wait, what you're doing, uh, you cannot sell it. So we need from the very beginning to start talking with the regulator in order to um, find uh, what we need to do so we can uh, sell it. And the food engineer can really, can, might help with the and the translation with the regulator to understand what we actually need. Uh, the final thing is uh, when you get to the final product, you will surely need a food engineer to design the product and add uh, some kind of supplements in, into the final product to make it uh, tasty and juicy and uh, all of that. So that's the work of the food engineer. So um, uh, the last thing that I think which is, uh, which is known to be really important is the scale-up. Basically, when you make uh, tissues, muscle tissues, you, you don't really care about making uh, tons of it from a small biopsy. Um, so um, basically, the scale-up is making the process more efficient for a uh, mass production. We need to start working with bioreactors um, in order to make the process more efficient. If someone doesn't know, bioreactor is basically a huge tank that has controlled environment for the environment for uh, biological uh, processes. And basically, there are uh, several types of uh, bioreactors, uh, microcarriers, perfusion bioreactor, or maybe non-adherent cell culture. Uh, basically, all of those are options that needs to be checked. What are the optimal uh, conditions to, to make the, the scale-up? Um, second of all is automation. Uh, before that, I will say that bioreactors are already used in the pharmaceutical industry, but they are also being used in... Uh, in the food industry for, uh, not for mammalian cells, but um, for uh, bacteria or yeast, they can be also be used for mammalian cells. We need to scale them up because currently bioreactors can go to 50 liters, 1,000 liters, and so on. If you want to get to a higher uh, amount, so we will need to generate uh, new bioreactors. Um, there is a lab uh, in uh, England uh, by, by uh, Dr. Marian Ellis that is a uh, actually working on designing new bioreactors uh, suitable for clean meat production. So that's something really exciting. Second thing about scale-up is the automation. In order to make the process uh, more efficient, we need to do it automatically. Basically, now we are doing it uh, manually, and that takes long time, and because of that, it makes the uh, production really expensive. If you uh, hear in the news, you hear about uh, that there was a two order of magnitude to change in the price of the clean meat, it started from something like 300,000, now roughly $2,000. So that, uh, a big part of it is doing the automation. 
And the final thing about ScaleUp, uh, at least from my knowledge, is starting work with GMP conditions, with good manufacturing practices, uh, which will uh, surely improve the safety, quality, and consistency of the products. So those are the three main research directions that I, I think are uh, very crucial in order to make uh, clean meat actually work and actually make a good product again. All right. That was a really good and really extensive answer on this. I hope that everyone listening enjoyed it as, as much as I did. I do have a few questions just stemming from what you just said. So to start, when you begin growing tissue in a lab like this, you, you start with the biopsy. So you start with a sort of a seed cell. And I know that for some vegans, this is the hangup because that cell needs to come from an animal, right? What do you think about that? And more importantly, when you start like that, can you then reuse the cells that you've grown? So theoretically, could you just take the cell from an animal once and then never use an animal cell again because you're just going from what you've grown? Yeah, so there are two um, stages for the research. So the first stage of the research is just to make a clinic is a startup. In order for the startup to work, you need to start with something that is simple and to actually make products which are cheap so people will buy them. And later on, you can develop the, the research further on. I think that in the first stages of the research, we will uh, just take a biopsy one here, one there, which is taken in a way which is not uh, very invasive and it doesn't harm the animal. And I do agree that it's a problem. However, it can be solved. First of all, if you currently, if we take a, a, a biopsy from the animal, it means that uh, basically we expand the cell so much, so at the end there won't even be one atom that came from the animal in the final product. So I think that the amount that we use from the animal in order to make it are, are, are just so tiny that it's, it's not even relevant. Like if you can basically save 150 billion animals, the fact that you use some cells from an animal it doesn't matter that much. However, I do agree that it's a, a problem that needs to be solved. And, our, uh, and in later stage, we'll start working with stem cells. So after we'll take the first biopsy, we won't, be able, we won't need to use any more uh, biopsies at all because those cells can uh, go away indefinitely. And I think that's something uh, that is important to get so the product will be completely vegan. However, I don't think that's the, the first step that we need to take. First of all, we need to make it work. And after it works, we can uh, try to make it 100% vegan and not 99.99999. Yeah, and I, I do like that uh, you mentioned that you're, you're working on using plant-based materials for the lattice. That's the frame on which the clean meat grows, right? Yeah, so basically our goal is to change all of the materials to plant-based materials or food-grade materials. Yeah, so everything is, uh, is aimed to be played. We change them one by one, but uh, everything will be changed, yeah. Right, and the, the last thing that I was wondering about as you were talking, when you were mentioning the, the size of the bioreactors, I've always kind of imagined that the process of clean meat would be you have this vat or bioreactor and then you grow, let's say, regular-sized steak. And then you grow 10,000 of them and, and you package them and you sell them. But from what I was hearing, and please correct me if I'm thinking completely wrong, if you have a large enough bioreactor, could you just grow 500 
pounds of clean meat in, in one piece and then cut that up? Is that how it would work? I'm not from the scale-up background. I am not sure exactly how it will work at the end, but those are the two possibilities. Either they're going a huge chunk of meat uh, in one barrel reactor, however, or you can uh, go with small amounts of meat in uh, smaller barrel reactors. I think that at the beginning, we'll go with the second option because there is always the problem with fusion and uh, going a huge chunk of meat. I think going a thick tissue is, is rather complicated in terms of the nutrients getting into the cells in the, in the middle of the construct. So I think that in the beginning, it will work in the way that they will make small pieces of meat that will be uh, used uh, together, will be taken together into making the meat. Um, but um, later on, we'll try to make something that would be a huge barato full of a, making a huge chunk of meat every time. Right. But those are possibilities that the scale-up people will know to answer better than me. In any case, you know, I, I find the concept completely fascinating. Um, but I wanted to ask you if you know the history of the idea. I mean, where and when did it start? Because I know that there's this quote from, from Winston Churchill floating around that's from the 1930s, where he was actually talking about the future possibility of, of growing our meat in tanks like that. So do you know what the actual timeline is like for the research being done and when this started? Yes. Churchill, uh, in his article from uh, 1931, he already envisioned that uh, the meat industry will start making meat using tissue engineering technology. The actual research, we are a little uh, bit slower behind because he was talking about 50 years hence and we are a little bit slow behind. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that, uh, maybe he didn't know that much about the uh, tissue engineering back then. So the actual research started at uh, 2002 when uh, NASA funded the research led by the biology professor uh, Morris uh, Benjaminson. He actually died last year. And the research was aimed to develop a clean fish as an efficient way to feed astronauts uh, with fresh uh, fish. And since then, Jason Metheny, a scientist studying infectious diseases, he heard about this endeavor and thought it was a good idea to solve many of the problems with the current meat industry. So he founded the New Harvest and, uh, to, raise money, uh, to, raise, to raise funds for the clean meat uh, research. So um, that was uh, two years uh, later. However, the big boost for clean meat came when uh, Professor Mark Post from the Netherlands joined the field and created the Proof of Concept Burger, uh, which was funded by uh, Google's co-founder Sergey Brin in uh, 2013. And since then, every year, Mark hosts a clean meat conference in Maastricht in the Netherlands. And, and because of that, basically, since then, the field is growing with new startups, scientists, and investors, uh, which are uh, basically eager to get a piece of the, this huge market. So essentially, this has been around for 15 years. That's, that's all. We've been working on making meat in the lab for, for 15 years. Yeah, something like this, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that, yeah. One thing that you mentioned, which is definitely worth emphasizing, is that this first proof-of-concept burger, you said, um, sold for 300,000 US, and now we're down to 2,000. So what other advances have been made in, in the past you know, five to 10 years? Most of the research is done in secrecy. But several companies around the world are working on uh, creating clean meat. 
especially working on creating the basic tissue and improving the scalability of the process, which lowers the price. Um, as I said, we did get a major change with uh, two orders of magnitude change in the price of uh, clean meat. I see that uh, people are using uh, more cell types compared to the initial burger that had just uh, muscle cells. We see more cell types, more uh, animal types that they are using. However, I'm pretty sure most people are working on the scale-up procedure. And I do hope that you will see people going into the food engineering. I, basically, what I see is people working on the tissue engineering and the, the scale-up, but not enough on the food engineering, at least from what I see. I totally understand that you can't go into much detail here, but do you have any personal estimates on, on when we can expect the first products to be ready for the market? Yeah, so I get this question a lot, and I really don't know. There are many claims in the news, but as a scientist, I learn not to trust the news about these kind of questions. I just don't know. Let me turn it around a little bit. We touched on this before in terms of food engineering and, and scalability. So what are the big things, the big breakthroughs that need to happen to, to bring us closer to clean meat products being available? Yeah, so A is collaborations, B is collaborations, and C is food engineering. And <laughs> yeah, so clean meat is a huge task. It's a really difficult one. We want to take tissue engineering, which is one of the most expensive fields, and apply it for food production, one of the fields with the lowest margin of products out there. So in order to achieve an actual product uh, that is good, that is similar to meat in taste, texture, and price, we have to collaborate. Otherwise, there will be many bad products out there and people will consider them just as another meat substitute. The question is about the intellectual property, about the IP. There are ways suggested by uh, this lawyer, Sasha Mandy, for several small companies to tackle and solve a large problem together and by making a, pool, a patent pool. Every, basically, everyone in the pool can use uh, the other's uh, patents. In order to join, uh, you should pay a regular fee. And, uh, this kind of collaboration uh, approach, uh, it can work, and it actually is the way that we made the uh, Bluetooth work. And it was um, uh, several uh, small companies that worked together to make it and uh, use this uh, kind of uh, technique in order to um, collaborate together. So in my opinion, that's a huge thing, just to find a way to collaborate and that each company will try to make a different part of the final product because there are many, many, many small projects that needs to be done. If one company will try to do all of them, I think it will be really difficult. You know, it's interesting and I guess not surprising that you, you mentioned collaboration and collaboration, which is one of the big overarching topics of vegan business that I'm encountering all the time because our industry is a lot bigger on collaboration than I think most industries. So hopefully, and again, I'd love to have your opinion on this, is the clean meat movement and research, is it driven primarily by vegans or, or people who are close to vegan ethics? Or how many people working on this started working on it like, like you did because they wanted to make a difference for the animals? So there is a vast uh, amount of uh, vegans or animal rights or uh, environmentalists inside of the clean meat community. Um, you can see that basically all of the research done in Israel was started uh, somehow somewhere by someone who cared about uh, 
animal rights. And I think that uh, when you see someone who has uh, lots of um, that uh, has lots of motivation, it really helps get the funding. Um, I think that this research is really pushed by people who, who are vegans or animal rights activists. It's a large portion of the people in the area. And of course, then on the other hand, you have big players like NASA that you mentioned before, which I really loved hearing because I, I think that if or rather when we seriously start moving around our, our solar system, it's definitely not going to be viable for us to take animals with us as a source of food. So um, one option that's really obvious for this is to grow your own food in, in a vat, like you said. So um, I did not know that NASA was actually exploring the option of growing fish for astronauts. But since you did mention it, what other options are you aware of that are being researched right now? And what else can we expect in this field? You know, because the burger was the first one. So what else is there beside that and fish and meatballs and steak? NASA did uh, put a, a little bit of funding on this in 2002. Currently, you see the funding may come from uh, VCs and incubators. Um, I think uh, if you talk about products, I think it will be the easiest to create a process smith. However, uh, we hope that uh, with the advance of the field of organ engineering, that we can make uh, more complex uh, meat products like a steak. Uh, the main problem is the, to create a thick tissue in vitro. Um, because without the vascular network supplying them with nutrients, cells tend to die. However, um, if you get all of the multicellular uh, concept together, you can make uh, something more interesting than uh, processed uh, uh, meat, like meatballs and uh, burgers, hopefully. Right. So what I'm hearing is that burgers and um, meatballs are, are the simplest to grow. Yeah. And then as you go into products like steak, it gets a bit more complicated because I'm assuming you, you need the right structure for the end result to actually resemble a, a steak. Yeah, so there are research being done in the field of tissue engineering. And basically, we are not trying to make anything novel in the field. We are not trying to make new possibilities of tissue engineering. We are just trying to take the information that is already out there and implement it for bovine cells. So I don't think if we go into the field of organ engineering, trying to make something very thick, I think that's something that will be really, really difficult and will cost huge amounts of money, like billions of dollars. We shouldn't do that. People in the field of tissue engineering, of biomedical engineering, already want to do it anyway. So we don't need to go into... There are many problems in the field of tissue engineering that other people have interest to solve, so we should let them do it. For example, uh, there is the term of uh, using the FBS that many people talk about, and uh, using a, a fetal bovine serum that people say, oh, it's a problem with clean meat. The thing is that the, the field of tissue engineering want to solve the FBS problem anyway, because no one wants to use a fetal serum in their uh, research, because it's very variable and you cannot really use it for many uh, uses for uh, therapeutics. So some people try to solve it anyway. So we don't need to solve that problem. Also, with trying to make thick um, tissues, we shouldn't waste our small amount of energy into doing that because we, it will just, it's just basic research, uh, basic science that someone else can and will do anyway. 
So we should invest our time and effort in order to take the known information and implement it into cows and just make a product out of it and try to make it as cheap and as simple as possible and editable. On that notion of, of cows, you mentioned that um, mammal cells get the most research and yet NASA invested into researching fish cells. So is there much of a difference in, in products or in what you can do with, uh, let's say, cow cells or, or fish cells? So I never worked with uh, fish cells. However, it's pretty obvious that fish are very different than uh, cows. I know that there is fitness foods that are uh, working in, uh, in the U.S. trying to create uh, clean fish. However, I, I don't know what stage they are in. It's a problem for me. I'm vegetarian since I was four. I don't really know what fish and uh, meat are. <laughs> there is a disadvantage of being a vegetarian since you were four because you don't know much about meat, but you know lots about uh, meat alternatives. So that's uh, rather helpful. However, uh, I, I really don't know the differences between uh, cow's meat and uh, fish meat. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many huge uh, differences between them and that the growing the cells will be different. So I would advise anyone in the field to start with mammals. But theoretically, are, are there any limitations to what you could grow? I mean, obviously, human cells are well-researched, but like you said, there probably aren't that many people out there who would want to try a human burger, although I'm sure you could find some. Could you grow a burger from anything else? Like, could you grow it from a bug or a spider or whatever and, and just turn that into a burger? Yeah, so that's really interesting. First of all, I don't think people would want to eat uh, bugs. We will try to make something that uh, people are interested in eating. But the interesting thing is that we can design our meat uh, and produce new and interesting products in a combination that we couldn't tune inside an animal. For example, use muscle from a cow and fat from a sheep, or replace the saturated fatty acid with omega-3 fatty acids. So basically, we can uh, tune and design our, uh, our uh, products much more compared to the meat currently being sold. So we can make new and improved products that could be really exciting for the customer. Okay, so uh, now that you mentioned that, you, you're saying that we could actually produce clean meat that's healthier than its animal-derived counterpart because we can take out the saturated fats, we can take out the things that lead to disease, and, and we can replace them with some alternatives that would actually be healthier for us. Yeah, exactly. We have so much power to design the product in the way that we are currently making it in the clean meat. Basically, now, how can someone alter the, the meat, change the cow? Or, that's something very difficult to control the meat in the, inside the cow. Well, okay. I, I did not know that, but I know that it's a topic that comes up quite often about the health aspect of this. And um, the other topic that does come up is... I think there is a big subsect of, of the vegan population that's very much against any sort of food manipulation like GMOs. And this is obviously, it's, it's engineered food that we're doing. Do you see a lot of concerns around that from, you know, just early reactions of not just vegans, but the general public to, to clean meat? Yeah. So first of all, 
all of that we do, we don't use GMOs. So I think there is nothing wrong with GMOs because it's just making a better products compared to what we are doing uh, now. However, uh, I can say that our goal is not to, uh, to engineer something that is, uh, we can engineer something new, but our first goal is just to create a meat, which is basically trying to uh, use the same uh, natural environment of the cells and just try to grow the, the cells in the, same, in the same conditions that they go in the, inside of the body of the animal. So basically, we are not trying to manipulate anything and we are not trying to make something that is uh, different from what occurs in nature. We try to basically take the exact same conditions that happens uh, in nature and try to mimic it and make the same thing. We can, however, make things which are more improved if we can uh, use some science and put some science into it and uh, add some kind of uh, materials that cannot occur in nature, which can be better. However, I do think that there are some people who are uh, afraid of science. There, are, there is some kind of uh, phobia from science. I think there will be some uh, portion of the population that would say, oh, we don't eat this because it was grown in a lab, which is ridiculous because all of the food that we eat was researched and was grown in a lab in some part or something like that. If you talk about conflicts, the first steps were done in a lab. Uh, also here, we are not going to make the food in the lab. We are going to make it in factory and just like any other product. I think that if someone is against a processed food and they want to eat a very natural plant-based diet, that's, that's great. Those people, I don't want to convince them to start eating kimchi. They are not the problem. The problem is the, the majority of people who just want to eat a tasty, uh, inexpensive food, and they really don't care where the food comes from. For those people, something like this can be great. If you look at the percentage of people, uh, you can see that there, are, there were many social uh, science research done uh, to see how people will uh, coach clean meat. The research being done says that basically, if you look at many researches and take the, some of them, you see that basically roughly something like 20% of the population are uh, totally willing to eat uh, clean meat. We have another something like uh, 10 to 20% will say, no, I'm not eating clean meat, doesn't matter what. You have uh, something like 60% of people who are not uh, yet decided. They don't really have an opinion yet because the product is not out there. So I think our goal is just basically to educate the, the population to understand, look, it's the same product. It's, it's even healthier. It's safer. We, we just make a new way to make this same product that you already eat. And uh, if we can uh, convince the population to be safe and uh, there are no problems with it, I think... Uh, the majority, if it would, if it would be the same taste and it would be inexpensive, I think people would just buy it because it's just better. Regarding that, I think it's no coincidence that we're using the term clean meat for the products right now because it, it does have a, a very positive connotation, especially as opposed to, let's say, cellular agriculture or, or in vitro meat, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, when uh, we started making a uh, uh, clean meat, people called it in vitro meat or lab-grown meat. And those names are really bad for the audience because, they, because the consumer doesn't like things being sciencey in, uh, in their food. They basically want food which is, uh, sounds natural and all. Is, there is lots of psychology behind it. So there was research done about it. And, uh, at first, they called it in vitro meat. Afterward, we started calling it cultured meat because it made uh, in a cell culture, and recently uh, we started calling it uh, clean meat because it is a clean, a clean, a cleaner way to make uh, the meat. 
And uh, according to um, uh, social science, social research, people perceive uh, clean meat as something which is safer and uh, something that you will want to eat when you call, talk about uh, cultured meat, that's something that sounds more sciencey. And in vitro meat is the worst. It's like, no, no, no one wants to eat uh, in vitro meat. Like, what is that? That's something that you see in a science fiction, uh, not uh, something that you would want to eat for your lunch. Yeah, and in, in vitro, it, for, for me, it also reminds me of, you know, in vitro fertilization and family planning. So it's, it's kind of almost like sounds you're going to be eating a fetus of some sort. So yeah, yeah I, I, I totally get that. Yeah, that's a horrible name. No one should ever use it. If they, unless you really hate clean meat and you want no one to eat it, that, don't use that name. Don't, you just call it clean meat, people like it. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good name for promoting it. But on the other side, this was covering the potential and future end users. What about the, the meat and agriculture industry? How are they reacting to this technology? So the good news are that only farmers have an incentive to oppose clean meat. The multinational processing companies even invest in clean meat. And when the products hit the market, the farmers lobbyists will surely do their best to convince the FDA that they, to prevent clean meat marketing. And hopefully by then, incredible organizations such as the Good Food Institute will uh, work with the regulator to define clean meat as edible, as meat, as uh, safe. And the clean meat companies already uh, are talking with the regulator and uh, following their instructions. So hopefully that won't be a big deal. But it's something that really should be considered. Because there will be people in the industry that will not want to have clean meat out there, just like what happened with just mayo. And there, there are people who have the interest not to have clean meat out there. Yes. And um, what about just, you know, on, on the opposite side of the spectrum? Because I remember last year when I interviewed um, Ryan Pandya of Perfect Day, it was really interesting to hear that when it comes to milk that's produced by a cellular agriculture, the dairy industry is getting pretty interested in the technology because they see the opportunity of, of making meat and milk without using cows. And obviously the dairy industry already has a bit of a head start there because they've been making cheese with, with rennet that's produced in the same way. So um, do you see some interest being generated among the, the meat industry for we're actually shifting towards producing meat without animals in this way? Yeah, so basically the, the meat industry, I think it's not that simple for them to grow animals. It's not convenient for them. It's basically something of a nuisance both for them uh, in terms of uh, welfare, in terms of treating animals. Uh, it, it's something which is very not convenient for them. And it, it affects them also morally, also in terms of in, environmental issues. It's a much simpler and much cleaner way to make food without using animals. It's something that will just make the, the technology much more simpler, much safer and more consistent. I think that's something that they, they are into. However, there is also always the difference between the farmer and the processing companies. I'm sure that when the milk companies supported the perfect day, they said, oh, yeah, that's something good. I'm sure it wasn't the farmer, but it was the company that sells it. They, they, they don't really care where the milk comes from if you are the company that sells it. You prefer actually to have something which has less variability 
and which is more consistent. So just like getting it from a factory instead of some cows that are grown out there somewhere. Right. On this, we, we haven't even touched on it, and, and I hope you can spare some words for the Modern Agriculture Foundation, so the nonprofit that, that you're working with. What's their role in moving this along? Yeah, so the Modern Agriculture Foundation is basically responsible to all the clean meat companies currently in Israel. Um, there are three companies, and they are uh, the seed that started all of them. And basically, we, we promote it. In, we, we have collaboration with those companies. We promote um, students to join clean meat and plant-based meat research. We also try to raise funds for the companies or for, the, for this giver in general. Um, we advance awareness in the media, in lectures and conferences uh, to explain how clean meat is important. I think that way you can also get to the regulators and uh, to uh, venture capitalists who can uh, hear about it and then they can say, oh, actually, that's a good idea. Maybe that's something we will want to fund. This year, we, or last year actually, we uh, made the Clean Meat Conference in the Technion in Israel, in the Food and Biotechnology Department. And it was the largest Clean Meat Conference in the world. Uh, people from all around the world came here to uh, talk and uh, to listen about the, the Clean Meat opportunities, uh, specifically in Israel and also in general in the world. And I think that's a good way to start collaborations. You have all of those conferences, uh, people can uh, meet up and join and talk with each other. I think that's a really boost for the field. And um, just one thing that I, I found when I was doing research for this interview, how, how much interest in, in the technology and specifically in what you're doing in Israel is coming from, from Chinese investors and Chinese companies? Hmm. So there was some kind of a news uh, that the, that the Chinese invested $300 million in uh, clean meat in Israel. That's totally false. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it was everywhere. We said, okay, I'm willing to get $100 million. I, I don't need $300 million. Yeah, it, it was totally false. No, no one in, uh, invested $300 million in clean meat in Israel. However, um, I haven't seen, a, I, I think... It, there could be some kind of interest of in clean meat in China. However, I don't know much about it. Well, I I would say just, you know, from common sense, depending, considering how much growth they're seeing in their meat consumption, sooner or later, they will have to be thinking in this direction. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, from, from your position, if we just um, wrap this up with kind of a business question, you're basically in the vanguard of this movement. So... Um, what business opportunities is cellular agriculture opening? Because once once this technology develops better, will it be something that even smaller businesses that don't have strong R&D department or science department can get into in the sense of, just like you said, a patent pool of joining this or acquiring a license process and, and then just using it in, in their own production of meat? Yeah, uh, that, that was a big question. So I'll start off uh, saying that currently um, there are uh, jobs in the clean meat industry uh, for biologists, food engineers, meat scientists, social scientists, um, engineers, lawyers, managers. All of this is something that if you have the, this uh, background, you can uh, join the field or you can study this and join the field uh, by studying this uh, discipline. 
when the final products will develop, the integration with small businesses really depends on how the market strategy of the big clean meat companies will be. I think that in the beginning, they will uh, work with big process, processed meat distributors, and only later, the smaller factories will spread around the world, and smaller companies will be able to join the clean meat revolution. I think that's something that will uh, take some time for uh, small businesses to join. And um, in terms of you know consumer products, can we expect to to have at some point like a clean meat reactor on our kitchen shelf where you just pour in the, the basic ingredients and it grows a steak for you? There is a company in Israel, Future Meat. That's basically what they are trying to do to make a, to generate a small bioreactors that you can take home and just put the ingredients in and work. However, I don't think that's uh, very simple because uh, you need uh, some kind of tissue engineer that will know exactly how to work with this and how to generate the, the tissue. I think that's not something uh, simple to do. However, in the, after we will already have big factories that will create clean meat, it will be sold throughout the world. I think that at the end we can have some kind of home bioreactor that, that those companies will just send you some pills and you take the pill which has some kind of cell combination inside it, you just put it inside and at the end you can make it at your home. But I think that was something that will take much more time than just making it in a big factory. I'm definitely not seeing that happening in the next one to two years, but um, you know, who, who knows what the future holds? I, from what I'm hearing, this is a very, very young field. I mean, 15 years is very little in terms of, of industry, but it, it seems to be really growing rapidly. So even though we touched on this before, you know that I like to close every interview with a question on the future. So um, what does the future look like with clean meat? If you can just imagine, let, let your imagination grow wild and um, give us your best case scenario for what our world may look like in 10, 20 or, or 50 years with this technology in it. So as you suggested, uh, one day we'll, we, each of us will have a tank in his home, uh, like a small microwave that you can just make a barrier out of a sample of cells. I think it uh, may uh, revolutionize the, the meat is industry as we know it, unless the plant-based meat will do it earlier. <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my hope. But in either case, whichever of these technologies does it, or even if they do it side by side, um, I'm hearing this will be something that will drastically diminish the, the use of animals in our food system. For sure. If you talk, talk about the animal abuse, 98% of the animal abuse occurs in the meat industry. I think that also, if you talk about the other 2%, I think that a society that is based on using animals so much cannot accept ideas such as animal rights. Because if you eat animals for every meal or every day, you cannot, a society like this cannot accept ideas such as that animals have rights to live and, and so on. I think that after we will solve the, meat, uh, the problem with the meat industry, not only we will uh, save 98% of the animals, we will also make a big difference for the other uh, animal rights uh, projects and uh, struggles, because basically it would be much easier to make people stop using it. It's like 200 years ago, if you talk with people about not using uh, horses uh, for transportation, no one will get it. 
people say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. We, everyone uses uh, horses. But now that we have cars, I think he, when someone sees someone, uh, I know that now in Israel, they make it illegal to use uh, uh, the horses, at least for the, some kind of transportation uh, called Altezachen. It's uh, some kind of uh, transportation of goods from uh, one place to another. So they say you cannot do it with horses. The reason that, you, that now they, have a, they make a law about it is because no one uses horses anymore, so it's much easier to go against it. And I think it will be the same with uh, animal rights, that once the meat industry will stop using animals, and the animal rights ideas will flourish in our society. And, you know, if anyone needed an extra reason to, to support what you're doing and um, be enthusiastic about the clean meat technology, I think that was it right there. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, thank you so much for, um, for sharing this. I, like I said, I really, really enjoyed picking your brain about this. I'm, I'm sure we could have kept this going for another hour because I, I know I have a ton of extra questions about the technology, but I do think that we, we covered the basic premises of it extensively thanks to you. Uh, for sure. Thank you very much, Jerry, for having me on. And uh, I'm really happy to be, in your, uh, to be in your show. Yes. Well, thank you for being the, the first person to talk about clean meat technology on the podcast as well. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. Great. Well, thanks again and have an awesome day. Well, that wraps up episode 48 and the first episode of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show to cover clean meat, but definitely not last. I am very excited about all the positive impacts that this technology will have on our world. And also, in case you missed anything else, you know that we have the complete show notes available on the site. So summary of the interview, links, transcript, the works. And you can find it at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 048. Now, considering that this was breaking new ground, I'm really interested in what you thought of this episode and what you think of clean meat technology in general. I've received a few emails from people who are either working on it or want to get involved. So for those guys, I hope that this interview was useful, but if anyone else has any other comments about it or suggestions on what to explore next, please share it by emailing me at jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. Now, finally, I want to emphasize the thing that Tom brought up in the interview, and that's the fact that our views on the use and abuse of animals depend heavily on our way of living and the products that we are consuming, which is why the more vegan options, including clean meat, we make available, the easier it will be for everyone, even people who aren't really interested in being vegan, to change their way of thinking. I would know that this might be a very obvious point, but it bears repeating because this is the way we move forward. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to introduce you to people who are actively moving us in that direction and help things along in that way. So thank you for listening and thank you for what you do. I'll talk to you again soon. And until then, remember, the future is plant-based. Yeah.